I didn't go through this experience of, you know, challenging my thoughts about gender equality and, you know, what it means to be a feminist as a man, I don't know if I chose to take this paternity leave. I'm not saying like, hey, like every um, everyone should do this or, you know, everyone should change their name. Uh, every man should change their name or every man should take their paternity leave. Even though the paternity leave part, I highly recommend it. Um, mm. But it's something that I didn't think I was going to do growing up. Um, but, you know, after having this experience, um, I'm so glad that I, I chose to do these things. And mm -hmm. just kind of wanted to share this message with men who might be struggling with uh, the gender expectations in their culture. It's okay to let those go. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today I'm speaking with Shu Matsuo Post, a gender equality advocate and author of I Took Her Name. Welcome, Shu. Thank you, Ronit. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks I'm for having so me. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. And so we're talking, um, I'm in Seattle and you're in Japan, right? Yeah, I'm back in Tokyo now. Okay. And are you are you from Tokyo? Uh, near Tokyo originally, but I've been living in Tokyo for the past uh, couple of years now. Okay. And did you always know that you wanted to stay there or did you have a time when you thought, oh, I need to get out of this, this place. I don't want to live in this city anymore. Well, I grew up here in Japan until the age of 15 and I actually moved to the U.S. and mm -hmm. for high school and college and ended up being there for about eight years. So oh, wow. I definitely had this itch to get out of Japan mm -hmm. um, to experience the world. And mm -hmm. so I went to the U.S. and I did come back after staying in the U.S. for about eight years um, mm -hmm. to Japan. And I, I was here for about two and a half years and I got the itch again. I wanted to get out of <laughs> Japan. And that time I went to Hong Kong and oh. uh, I was there for about five years. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we, I came back to Japan again about three years ago. Oh, okay. And so you have had the luxury or the interesting experience of growing up in, I mean, I would, I feel like Japan is a pretty masculine society. Am I right about that? Yeah. Masculine yeah. as in like pa patriarchy. Yes. De patriarchal society. Yeah, patriarchal. yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I want to really talk a little bit before we talk about how you transformed and your work now, I think it's really fun to kind of dive in a little bit and see what contrast or similarities you found between the U.S. or where you were living in the U.S. and your upbringing in Japan. Because I've never been to Japan. I do hope to go sometime when COVID is finished. Mm -hmm. And I only know what I see in media. So what was your personal experience uh, patriarchally in Japan? Japan is a very homogenous country, uh, meaning, you know, if you're Japanese, um, and most people are Japanese, especially from uh, where I'm from, people, pretty much everyone looked the same, everyone thought the same, and everyone believed in the same things. So, mm -hmm. you know, as a majority, I didn't know diversity or other points of view. Mm -hmm. And when I went to the U.S., um, I was a minority by race. Uh, ethnicity and by nationality so that was but the first time I was like wow there are lots of different kinds of people mm -hmm. uh, which is awesome 
Mm-hmm. And I also definitely felt the difference between Japan and the U.S. in terms of uh, society, like masculinity, what, what mm. it means to be masculine. And I think in the U.S. or American-influenced cultures, mm-hmm. you know, hyper-masculinity is like so emphasized, mm-hmm. uh, meaning, you know, you got to be so macho, like mm-hmm. physically too, very strong, athletic, kind of show dominance aggression and that's mm-hmm. a positive thing like being that way all the time like not showing emotions and i think those qualities are tend to be thought as masculine in american culture mm-hmm. and i do agree like those are individually um really good qualities but if you're rejecting you know outside of that like traditional feminine qualities such as like um, em- being empathetic you know, showing, uh, expressing emotions more freely, I think that can be toxic as well. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you were in the U.S., and can you remind me where you spent the bulk of your time, what city or state you were in? Uh, California for eight years. When you first got there, I mean, how did that contrast to the the kind of masculinity and the messages you got growing up when you were younger in Japan? Yeah. And in Japan, Japan is a collective culture and, you know, conformity is so important as opposed mm-hmm. to individuality. So mm-hmm. I was uh, naturally a little bit shy uh, compared to most American mm-hmm. um, children. So I was kind of taken aback when I first started to go to school in the U.S. Everyone's like raising their hands and like <laughs> expressing themselves. And I was like, wow, like I'm not used mm-hmm. to this. And I think a lot of people thought I was shy and, you know, kind of, I, I, they didn't understand me because I wasn't used to expressing myself uh, mm-hmm. that vocally. So, and also like, I think American culture tends to see Asian men as more feminine, partially because of that, you know, personality of kind of being shy or not aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely felt that. Um, but in Japan, that was the norm. Mm-hmm. And I fit in as a kind of a I didn't feel like I was quiet in Japan but I definitely (laughs) did uh, felt that way in the U.S. Well it's interesting too because it makes me wonder is there I mean I almost feel silly asking this but is there a version of toxic masculinity in Japan from what you can see? Um, Absolutely so it's it looks different but it's very male dominated culture still like work settings as well like the language that men speak uh, is often different from the what the women speak. And then there's like an expectations. So men speak in more like a dominant way um, mm-hmm. in Japanese and to show power over their subordinates, obviously, but also um, often uh, with women and that in the workplace and also like casual settings as well. So the, the patriarchy, the, mm-hmm. the power dynamic shows up in that way. And so you're saying it's ingrained in the language and the style yeah. of communication. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you know, just looking at the physical attributes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes Asian men aren't as physically like buff or muscular. A lot of us tend to be more slim. You know, if you look at the uh, the Korean pop band, BTS, you know, uh-huh. they're like super popular. And it's cool that they're getting recognized as an um, Asian boy band. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they look very different, you know, more 
on the feminine side, like slim compared to most American or Western boy bands. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, that's pretty stereotypical, but mm-hmm. I, I'd say it's a, you know, a lot of Asian men physically seem that way as well. So then knowing where we're going to go in the story and in your story, and I'm sure some listeners can already assume where I'm going with this, but did you have any messages that you feel were particular to your family in terms of femininity and masculinity or the patriarchy? Or do you feel like your family pretty much was right there where everybody else was where you were growing up? My parents are have been very open mind you know they had Mm -hmm. um my dad worked for an american company so you know he was always interested in um like international affairs and you know all that stuff so they didn't try to force me to believe in a certain way Mm -hmm. but it was more about the media you know society uh my friends and you know what uh, what i learned in school Mm -hmm. and through those messages subtle messages you know, I kind of created this uh, image of men, like what manhood was supposed to be, mm-hmm. uh, supposed to be. So, mm-hmm. you know, get a good job, you know, do well at, in school, um, get a good job um, and work for that company for a very long time. Um, have a family, work harder to protect, <laughs> you, you know, provide for your family um, and retire and enjoy your life kind of thing. So. You know, naturally, no one really told me uh, directly, like, that's how I was supposed to live. But I kind of created that through all the messages uh, from um, my upbringing. And I I think it's a pretty typical, typically Asian. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know. And uh, and was emotion, like, what was was the feeling you had about when you, when you experienced strong feelings? uh, Did you feel free to express them? Um. Yeah, and fortunately, or I guess unfortunately, I you know I did pretty well in school mm-hmm. um, in Japan, so it was it wasn't like a, a problem for me. I was like, okay, I could do this. I could live this way. I, I'm getting good grades. You know, I feel like I could go to a good school. But when I came to the U.S., it wasn't the case. I struggled uh, in school because I had mm-hmm. to learn everything in a new language. So that was very difficult. Um, but at the time. You know, I, I felt like living the script, per se, mm-hmm. um, was um, appropriate for me. And I was I didn't have any issues thinking that way. Like, uh, OK, my life should be this way. And this mm-hmm. is what success uh, looks like as a man for mm-hmm. me. Right. And, and did you know what you wanted to be? I actually wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to be a professional golfer uh, mm. growing up. And that didn't work out. And uh, that was, you know, being an athlete um, was, is also, um, you know, respected in the Japanese culture as well, mm-hmm. professional athletes, and as, especially as a man. And I wanted mm-hmm. to become one. And once I, you know, um, kind of gave up that dream, it, I, I was pretty heartbroken. I still mm-hmm. remember that day. I was like, I didn't make the tryout for my college team and I, I knew if I didn't make it, I wouldn't be able to do, be a professional golfer. Mm-hmm. So um, I went through a f- um, period of really rough time. I didn't know what I wanted to be after that. That was part of my kind of identity crisis. Like, okay, I, I can't be the, the, the person, the man that I thought I was going to be. Now, know what? Like, mm-hmm. 
so it took me a while to find that you know what I wanted to be but after that I really didn't know what I wanted to be at the time in college I was studying journalism so naturally I pursued jur uh, journalism uh, which mm -hmm. I really enjoyed but it's a it's a very tough uh, job to make a mm. living out of um, <laughs> but I just focused on experiences um, experiencing life and you know kind of uh, rode the wave and ended up being in New York after graduation and then came back to Tokyo and you know went to Hong Kong and in hindsight um, I'm glad that I did what I did but I, yeah I had no idea what exactly what I wanted to do. So can you talk about how you met your wife? Yes so it was in Hong Kong um, it was about I think it was 2014 um, it was my third year in Hong Kong. Um, at the time, I was obviously single and I was meeting people and I was dating <clears throat> as a single man. And uh, we actually met on a dating app, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and um, didn't think I was going to meet a future wife that way, but uh, we did. Um, it's too late now. <laughs> uh, it's too late now, yeah. At the time, we were like, oh, man, we're too embarrassed to kind of talk about that, but... Hey, it's like it's I think it's more norm, common. So, I think yeah. it's more common than you yeah. think, actually. Yeah, we have nothing to hide now. <laughs> um, you know, it's not like I was looking for a soulmate or a life partner at the time. I was, you know, I just wanted to meet people. And I remember when I met her, you know, she was very nice, kind, and we like hit it off. But she, I, I, I knew she was different in uh, in a way. She. She's a teacher and she act, she teaches uh, English to uh, international students uh, wherever she lived. And, mm -hmm. and at the time, she was teaching at an international school in Hong Kong. And I remember one of the earlier dates, you know, she told me about the, the new unit she was teaching, uh, which was gender and language. Mm -hmm. And she was kind of asking me, asking me about questions um on on my view on uh, gender equality and she asked me questions about what i what i did uh, my my take on um dating and how um, a man was supposed to behave um in a way so mm -hmm. to give you an example you know on this day i took her out to dinner i think it was her birthday and uh, you know i wanted to kind of treat her right on mm -hmm. the first birthday celebration together as a couple and we went to this really fancy restaurant in the heart of hong kong and you know as soon as we entered the restaurant i you know kind of sat her down like a pull the chair trying to be chivalrous mm -hmm. you know <laughs> trying to impress her with like ordering like really uh, expensive things on the menu mm -hmm. kind of like trying to be a gentleman and I thought that's what I was supposed to do because you know I I, I read all these dating books and you know <laughs> men are supposed to do this way especially early on in dates and make sure you pay for dates and everything so um and I was like okay I'm just following the manual I'm doing the right things <laughs> right and I remember she asked me those questions about why I do those things like hey why, why are you doing these things it wasn't like she was trying to attack me. She was just genuinely curious. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to say because <laughs> that's what I learned. And I, I thought that's what I was supposed to do to be successful uh, in dating. 
And that's when I realized I really need to think about why I'm doing these things. Because, you know, being chivalrous, I wrote this in my book as well, it's a, it's a very nice gesture to the person you're being nice to. But if you're only doing it to women or one,、mm-hmm. you know, one gender, that can't be sexist. You know, if you're just being nice to try to get attention of the, the women you're attracted to or just women,、um, it can be sexist.、Um, you know, there are many, if you're a man, you know, there are many men that you can be nice to, you should be nice to as well, who are in need. And,、uh, you know, if you're rejecting the idea of being nice to those men only because they're men, you know, that's,、um, that's not a kind gesture. So that's、mm-hmm. something I realized then. And we started talking about the topic of gender equality and feminism. And at the time, I had no idea what feminism、uh, really meant. And yeah, I was, was going to ask you that actually.、Uh, yeah. Had you heard of it or did you have any associations with it? Yeah, I, I had definitely heard of it. And my association was that feminism was for、um, like lesbians and angry women. Um, who hate men. <laughs> and I was kind I of against it. You about covered it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And、um, I didn't know gender equality and feminism are the same, same thing. You know,、mm-hmm. if you're promoting for gender equality, you're a feminist, as Emma Watson said in the famous He for She speech.、Uh, mm-hmm. And that was the time when, the, when she gave that speech. So that was kind of a, my aha moment. Oh, like, oh, if this. Uh, what feminism actually means. I am a feminist. And yeah, that's when I started to learn more about it. I guess that's when I started my journey into feminism. And so, did your wife at the time see that you were genuinely interested? Like, did you feel inside that you were interested in the subject, not just because she was? Or, you know, where was your interest level? I was very interested because she. She challenged me in a way that, was, that came from、uh, out of a curiosity, not、mm-hmm. um, out of um, like, uh, hey, I'm right, you're wrong. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.、Um, so I didn't feel that I was being defensive after kind of talking about it with her.、Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I really appreciate that she did. For me, sometimes when I'm interested in something and I begin my journey into understanding it, I do it because I'm genuinely interested, or someone mentioned it to me. And so it sounds like for you, I mean, you had an interest in it, and also this person you were genuinely interested in being with and wanting to be with was. You know, showing you sort of this pathway. And so at some point, though, it became your pathway unto yourself. Yeah. Like it yeah. became the thing that you knew made sense to you. Yeah. And、uh, I was definitely, definitely curious about the topic because I associated myself as someone who believed in gender equality, but I didn't call myself a feminist. So、mm-hmm. I wanted to connect the, the dots.、Um, You know, because I learned that being a feminist means promoting for gender equality. So,、um, like, I, if I believed in gender equality, like, I should be a feminist. So, what can I do? And all I needed was more education.、Um, and so that's what I did. I started to learn more about it.、Um, to talk,、um, I started to talk to、um, my girlfriend at the time, now wife,、uh, more about it. And I started to read more about. Uh, feminism. 
Mm-hmm. And so how was the reaction in your family? Did you start to talk with them about it? Did you start to talk with your other friends about it? What were your peers' reaction? I didn't really share about that until she and I got engaged. And, you know, that's, that's when I, that's when we started to talk about our last names, right? So we got engaged and, you know, we naturally started to discuss what we wanted to do with our last name. And she told me that she really liked her last name. So she mm-hmm. wasn't going to just take my last name. Mm-hmm. And I was okay with it. So my, my name was just Matsuo mm-hmm. and her name was Post. And, um, you know, we thought about, okay, should we just have separate names after we get married? Um, but we wanted to have kids and we wanted our kids to have the same last name as well. So we chose to have combine our last names. So that's why it's now Matsuo Post. And, you know, I told my parents about that, like, hey, I'm going to, com- you know, combine uh, names with Tina. Um, and then they were very understanding. And her parents uh, was the, I was, was just going to ask way. about her parents. Yeah. Did, were they surprised at all? No, actually. Uh, they were very supportive. And, uh, you know, I think they were happy to keep the, the post legacy as well. So what made you realize, like, what, what made you decide to write the book? And let's talk a little bit about what's in the book and what you are hoping readers will take away. Yes. So the, uh, the aha moment or the, the reason, exact moment why I chose to decided to write a book is when I went through this name changing process. So we were in Hong Kong when we were getting married and we actually got married in the U.S. And all we had to do was went to the city hall the day after our wedding and we signed our, the, the paperwork and submitted it. And our name was officially changed. It was as easy as that. <laughs> and after the honeymoon, we were actually moving to Japan. So for me, moving back to Japan. And for her, um, you know, it was her first time living in Japan. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do the same thing in my home country. So I went to the city hall and sub- tried to submit paperwork. And like, hey, here, here's my new name. I just got married to a foreign national. So we changed our name to Matsuo Post. And they were like, no, you can't do that. Um, you know, in Japan, you can't combine last names uh, with your spouse mm-hmm. um, or you can't have uh, separate last names. L- it's not an option. Can't. It's not an option. So it's a huge, huge controversy right now mm, um, in, I didn't know in Japan. That. It's still going. Um, so there, it's, there's enough interest and enough couples who would like to do either keep their own names or kind of merge? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Do you know why the government is resisting it? Because change takes a lot of effort and also money. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest reasons. And, you know, it's been a tradition. In Japan, a lot of people say, like, well, it's always been that way. You know, Japan mm-hmm. has a rich history. Why are we changing it so that uh, we're, I, I don't know, a- accepting mm-hmm. more like a Western ideology or whatever? Mm-hmm. Very traditional way of thinking. So that's mm-hmm. uh, what the uh, conservatives, conservatives are saying. But a lot of young people are... N- choosing not to get married because they want to keep their identity you Hmm. know they don't want to change their last names which i totally understand that's interesting that might kind of create enough pressure to make a change happen yeah especially i mean it seems like if yeah if the government is so traditional that you would imagine they'd want to preserve marriage absolutely especially with the 
decreasing population in Japan, one of the bi bigger topics in Japan. Um, well, yeah, are... I mean, let's I think I heard something about that, but not lately. I don't know what the figures are or how concerned everyone is or if the numbers continue to decline now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and obviously you, you can choose to have children without being married, but a lot of people are hesitant. A lot of the couples are hesitant to even get married and have kids because mm -hmm. of this like name changing uh, thing. So yeah, it's an interesting topic. Yeah. So you go to where we are now then is that you're getting some pushback and they don't want you to be able to take the name in Japan. Yeah. So yes, because of this law, naturally, um, I believe 96% of the time, it's the wife who ends up taking the husband's name. So I was one of uh, fewer few men mm -hmm. who were going through this name changing process and then uh, the city hall was like hey you have to go to the family court to plead your case you can't just accept your request so i was like okay well i'll do whatever it takes because i really want to change my name and i went to the family court thinking you know we just got married and family courts are for people that are getting divorced and mm. all that stuff. But anyway, the, the person at the family court uh, told me that since my wife is a foreign national who had changed her name in her home country already, mm -hmm. I could technically just take her name so that mm. we're following the Japanese law and, you know, making our wish come true. So that's, mm -hmm. that's what I did. So that's why the book is called I Took Her Name, even though we technically combined our names. Mm, right, right, yeah. right. And so yeah. what, what prompted you to write the book? Yeah. So when I went through that process, so it took me about eight months to officially change my name, um, mm -hmm. mostly because I was working full time and I um, couldn't find the time to like go to uh, city hall and family courts back and forth. Um, mm. But you know, that really got me thinking like, wow, changing your name is a lot of work. You know, after <laughs> that, you know, I had to, um, I changed my passport, um, credit cards, like all the everything, like all the IDs and all that stuff. And obviously, so many women um, have done this in the past and mm -hmm. they probably had never talked about it or they did, but you know, it didn't really get to men. So men didn't never talked about it because it wasn't their issue right mm -hmm. that was like right oh, this, exactly yeah this is like really time consuming this is not fun and mm -hmm. uh, that really hit me like it's wrong to expect just one um gender to go through this because only because they're women um it should be a choice-based decision so and if i just felt that was very sexist you know <clears throat> for not just Japan, but I think all over the world, um, it's it's more common for the wife to take uh, the husband's name. And yeah. uh, I just didn't feel that it was right. So, you know, if there is sexism in like a once in a lifetime um, activity, like changing your name, what else is there uh, in our everyday life? And that's when I really started to dig into my research about um, gender equality. And I found uh, like lots of things in Japan and also like um, other cultures as well. What are some of the, the more notable ones that stand out to you even now? Um, I think the language is, uh, is a big piece. So especially in Japanese, I, I'll give you an example. Um, there are many pronouns to describe 
um, I for men in Japan, mm -hmm. in Japanese, but there is really like only one um, for women. And uh, men have the options to change the pronoun based on who they're speaking to. So if they're, mm. if, uh, if I'm speaking to like someone um, that's older or su superior, um, I would say watashi, which mm -hmm. is uh, very neutral. And that's actually the most gender neutral pronoun. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the only option for women to say I as well. But if ah. you're talking to someone that's um, your subordinates or your peers or often like family members, um, men can say ore or boku, uh, which actually shows like power and aggression. Not aggression, mm -hmm. but power, mm -hmm. meaning like, hey, I have power. Like the status. Uh, status, it's yeah. Higher status. Yeah, so you would never say ore um, as I to someone who has more power or authority than you. That's mm -hmm. considered extremely rude um, mm -hmm. because it basically means like you're, you know, I have more power than you or, you know, I have equal power than you kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's my interpretation um, of it. And I didn't realize it until um, I looked into it. Uh, like I never say ore to someone that's older or someone that's, uh, you know, have has more authority than me. And yeah and it's interesting too i wonder i don't know it's you know because in english and and i you know i i might be incorrect but in english you know i i know a little bit of hebrew and I, of course i studied french in high school but this whole idea of feminine and masculine pronouns aside from he and she doesn't really exist you know the the depth of that difference is not as obvious in English mm -hmm. and so I wonder sometimes as language progresses and culture progresses in different countries if at any time some of these gender specific nouns and gender specific descriptions and conjugations will ever seem obsolete or if they will ever go away because the very fact that we're gendering them mm -hmm. speaks to the structure in a place yeah or vice versa. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah, absolutely. And also there's an interesting, uh, uh, if I can give you an, another language example. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is um, a few words to describe um, husband and wife in Japanese. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the common ones is to say shujin, to call your husband shujin, uh, mm -hmm. which literally means um, master uh, of the house, like master mm -hmm. person. And you can only use that word to refer your husband, which implies that only men can be the master of the household, not mm. women. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that some women use that to refer their husbands. And I was like, wow. Like, and I've never heard of any men use that for their wives. Um, mm. Right. So right. I thought that's, you know, that's sexist as well. And I don't like that word anymore. And there's a funny story. My my wife, uh, who doesn't speak Japanese, went to a hospital to get like a pre-visit for um, her minor surgery. Mm -hmm. And she went alone. And it was like a rural area um, outside of Tokyo. So none of the nurses spoke English. So they were mm -hmm. trying to communicate uh, with smartphones. Mm -hmm. And the nurses wanted to know, um, uh, female nurses wanted to know that if I was coming to the actual surgery date. Mm -hmm. And so they typed in, um, is your master coming, <laughs> you know, to uh, your surgery uh, mm -hmm. next week um, in Japanese? 
and she knew uh, what that meant because we've been we had been talking about it and so she said like yes well my husband is coming but in in her mind she was like well I'm the master of my own life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no one's my Yeah, master, well, so but... then what do you say nowadays? I mean, do you have a replacement word? Is there another word for it? Yeah, I started to use um, the word partner. And mm-hmm. we can you can just say partner in Japanese too. Um, Is that getting more common? Because I know it's more common here now. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not very common in, mm. in Japan, but I kind of started it. And mm-hmm. people were like, are you married um, or... You know, are you married to a woman or are you with, uh, you know, someone, you know, yes. it doesn't show who yes, you're with. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's not, if you think about it, you know, you don't have to disclose that information if you don't want to. That's um, true. Yeah. But yeah, that I feel good about using that word. And I try, I try to use that word to um, refer to my wife <clears throat> as much as possible in Japan. Mm-hmm. So does she find, I'm curious, um, if she has found Japan to be vastly different from, you know, when she lived, she lives in Tokyo now, but what is the structure like for her and for you compared to Hong Kong? Like, do you feel it's more progressive where you live now or less progressive? Is it the same? Um, I think Hong Kong was had definitely more diversity. Mm-hmm. And because people from all over the world were there, and which we really enjoyed. Tokyo is, um, there are a lot of foreigners here too, but it's, 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 not, it's not as much as Hong Kong. So I, I would say Hong Kong is more progressive in terms of like the diverse culture. Um, <clears throat> and everyone speaks English as well. Um, and in, in terms of masculinity, do you see the, in terms of the patriarchy and, and that kind of setup there? That is a good question. I, I would say yes, um, just by looking at the gender index ranking. Uh, Japan is actually one of the lowest countries uh, on that ranking um, with the gen- uh, gender gap uh, index ranking. So, so now that you're back, you're back in Tokyo, I'm curious how your friends and relatives in you know, your neighborhoods growing up or the people that you talk with now, how do they react to your your name, your last name, and the fact that you wrote this book. And is it available in Japanese or is it right now in print only in English? Right now it's only available in English, but I'm working towards getting this translated. I'm working with mm-hmm. some yeah, people to get this translated because uh, those bilingual readers um, uh, read it and then they're like, you need to publish this in Japanese. Like mm-hmm. more Japanese, especially men, need mm-hmm. to read your book so that's something i'm working on um and the reaction from you know my family and people in my life um like i said earlier my family has been super understanding so they i'm very open about my message in my book uh, with my family too and i think that opens their eyes um as well which is awesome to see and um i guess my friends some my closest friends are very supportive. They they know all the way, like my my uh, entire journey, um, and I'm still going through this journey myself. My I guess my transformation, and then they they have been very supportive. And some friends ask me like, "Why are you doing this? Like, what does this mean?" And uh, but it's okay. I think I'm showing my most my authentic self, 
uh, mm -hmm. with my friends. And if they like it, they continue to stay as my friends. And if not, probably not. And which is okay. Mm -hmm. Did so, you yeah. find any part of yourself um, pushing back on any feminism that you learned? Was there anything that is still hard for you to wrap your head around or kind of bend a little bit and be flexible about because you sound I'm asking because you sound really flexible and you sound open-minded and you sound very much like you're all in and I'm wondering if you ever hit any walls as you were going through this learning process and you're saying you're still working on it and there's it's like a, a work in progress but did, did you have your own biases or kind of stereotypes that you still kind of bump up against Yes, I do. So as a new father, um, I'm actually taking, I'm on my paternity leave right now. So I get to stay home, um, take care of our newborn son and support my wife because um, mm -hmm. she's on her maternity leave as well. And, uh, you know, the feminist part of me is like, hey, I can do as good of a job as a father to take care of our child. Um, but the reality is, uh, my my son, even though we spend we try to spend as much time together, um, I think he prefers his mom. <laughs> you know, he's he gets calmer when he's uh -huh. crying with his mom. Like last night, I was holding him when he was crying. Just he was like just you know um, crying hysterically, and I was trying to calm him down. I did everything I knew what you know I knew mm -hmm. all the tricks, um, and it didn't work. And my wife came like, here, let me let me see. And then he just immediately calmed down. Oh. And at the time I was like, wow, I don't want to believe like, you know, mothers are better at you know, child caring. <laughs> um, and that was kind of like my ego. Um, obviously, like, you know, she has to, the, uh, she is the source of his food, only food source right now. And, you know, she, he did come out of her. So yeah. biologically, you know, he probably feels that way. But so th what I try to tell myself is like, hey, you know, every child needs um, a good father. And uh, maybe it's not it's not c trying to calm him down when he needs milk or when he actually needs his mom. But there are other things that I can really focus on, um, like playing with him and mm -hmm. and actually supporting my wife, like doing the cooking and like the dishes and all the housework stuff. So mm -hmm. that's indirect. But, you know, I'm still supporting um, the childcare of my son. So I guess that was my ego. Um, yeah. Trying to be as good of a parent um, or um, as needed, you know. Well, um, it's a it's a son. crisis a lot of the times for new parents. Anyway, it's such a I'm I'm many years out of the new parenthood, but and I'm sure other people have told you this, and I know you're not asking to hear it, but that I have a son and a daughter, and I find that the that there's this real special thing that's been happening between my husband and my son where, you know, now that my son is getting to be a little older, 13, he's seeking my husband out a lot more. You know, there's a there's a way that they can relate that's more comfortable for him now that he's becoming a teenager. And I think those things are really cyclical. Uh, moms are always so primary, but th there are so many kids out there who just worship their fathers, you know. So just hang tight. <laughs> It'll come back around. That's great to hear. 
No, I promise. I promise you're going to be like light up his eyes every time he sees you at some point, you know. In the final moments that we have, is there any aspect of the book I haven't asked you about that you want to hit on? I guess the main message uh, from my book is, so I wrote this book for men my because, you know, why feminism? Like you're men, why are you talking about feminism? I get this mm. question a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people think, especially men, think that feminism is for women you know women's empowerment mm -hmm. and it is but it's also it also helps men um, achieve freedom and that's what I um, I went through I'm still going through I felt this immense um, feeling of freedom once I kind of let go of the expectations that I thought I had had to live mm -hmm. live up to as a man um, mm -hmm. you know like the prime example is taking a paternity leave um, I didn't know anybody around me who took paternity leave when they had their children. Um, but I wanted to. I, you know, my wife and I had been talking about taking time off when we have had our first child. And uh, you know, I was scared uh, about what my employer was going to think about me or what, you know, people around me uh, were going to think about me taking time off of work. Because, mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes, and I did this too, and I still do, you know, associate my identity, tie my identity to uh, my professional career. And I think a lot of men do that. But I kind of, you know, wanted to take this time off to reprioritize what's important in my life. Work is definitely important, but family is like really, really important for me. And I'm really glad that I did this. And if I didn't go through this experience of, you know, challenging my thoughts about gender equality and you know what it means to be a feminist as a man I don't know if I chose to take this paternity leave I'm not saying like hey like every um, everyone should do this or you know everyone should change their name uh, every man should change their name or every man should take their paternity leave even though the paternity leave part I highly recommend it um, mm. but it's something that I didn't think I was going to do growing up um, but, you know, after having this experience, um, I'm so glad that I, I chose to do these things and mm -hmm. just kind of wanted to share this message with men who might be struggling with the, the gender expectations in their culture. It's okay to let those go and mm -hmm. yeah. Leave you I there. also think, you know, when you were talking about this idea of work being important, but family is just as important, if not more important. And I think I'm thinking a lot about how many people I've talked to through the podcast, how many writers I know, and really just how many friends I have who've talked about their families of origin and how, how difficult things might've been or how emotions and feelings weren't addressed or how complicated the communication was between their parents or even their fathers or their moms and so I wonder it would be such a wonderful offshoot uh, for this embracing of feminism and your ability to stay home and to work and to be equal with your wife that your son and other people's children know their fathers more that the family can be stronger and that the people who come up in the next generation can be wholer and feel more balanced and have less to confront in terms of their own 
relationships and struggles because so many people I know have had a real difficult time in intimate relationships because of what they saw growing up. And I wonder if this is a step in the right direction to help children grow in a more balanced way. Oh, I couldn't say it better myself. I, I completely agree. And I hope mm-hmm. uh, that's my hope as well for, mm-hmm. for my son and for the future uh, generations, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so Shu, where, where can people best connect with you? I have a website. Um, it's pretty simple. It's my name, so shumatsuopost.com. So it's bilingual. So that's for actually Japanese and for English, um, shumatsuopost.com slash en slash. Mm-hmm. And you can find out more about me, what I've done um, in this field of work. And you can find out more about my book. And I'm also pretty active on uh, Instagram, uh, which is at shumatsuopost. Great. And, you know, I thought about this. I don't know if you've already thought about this, but do you ever think about doing workshops uh, in in your town, you know, like masculinity debunking workshops or feminism workshops, you know, for people, even on Zoom, so people can understand the thinking behind the book and how simple these adjustments can be? I, ha- I have. So what I'm focusing on right now and um, are doing this for students. Um, mm. So I've actually, I, I got the um, opportunities to speak to elementary school, high school, and university students oh, wow. um, in Japan in the past couple months. And um, it was, I, I super enjoyed it. And um, that's the type of work that I want to continue doing because mm-hmm. I believe that education is so important. And, mm-hmm. you know, gender education should start as early as possible. So, and yeah, um, so students and also, yeah, I definitely want to start doing uh, workshops, um, especially for uh, those decision makers in organizations. Um, I, I, I feel like they have so much power to change the future of their company and also the culture um, that they're yes. creating within their country as well, right? So yes. right now, if you look at the, just the representation of gender at the top uh, leadership positions, um, as you know, most of them are men, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they might want to do um, diverse um, initiatives or, you know, gen- promote gender equality, but it's very hard to do that uh, if you don't have the female representation at the, you know, at those role um leadership roles and Mm -hmm. this goes for you know other intersectionalities as well so racial yeah and when you think too about you know like even that the powerful message of let's give let's give all fathers paternity leave who want it that Mm -hmm. this is a bona fide amount of time that message alone it seems so so simple in some ways but that message alone, if companies aren't already doing it, values the father's input and how important it is to weigh equally the needs of a child and a family cycle, a family life for a company and mm-hmm. vice versa, you know. So that kind of a change does make a really big impact. Absolutely. And I want to use the privileged aspects of my identity to speak to these men about this, this um, you know, these topics. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the type of work that I want to continue doing. And um, yeah, if uh, anyone's is interested in learning more about that or working with me, um, 
please visit my website and there's an email there as well. So Great. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad we had this chance to talk. And I just love the fact that I can connect with you. You're all the way over there in Japan right now. For me, it's so far away. And we were able to have this conversation. Just best wishes to you and your family. And I, I'm so glad that you're on this mission. Ronin, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.